Welcome to Talking Wyndham, your weekly insight into the people who make our city surprising, fascinating, vibrant and interesting. Talking Wyndham is an initiative of the Committee for Wyndham. All the latest news and events are on our website and Facebook page. G'day and welcome to another edition of the Talking Wyndham podcast. My name's Kevin Hillier. Here, of course, with thanks to the Committee for Wyndham. And you can check out all the details of exciting programs that they've got coming up on the uh, website and also on the Facebook page. But today we're heading to Victoria University once again, a great organisation, a great learning facility uh, in the West and has been doing it for over 100 years. So they, they do know what they're doing. And today we'll meet uh, Trish McCluskey, who's the Pro Vice-Chancellor for Learning and Teaching at Victoria University. And if you want to know more about what's going on at Victoria University, uh, after this chat, uh, by all means, uh, jump on the website. Uh, just Google Vic University and you'll find out all the details of everything that's coming up. But to tell us all about what's going on, what they've been doing, what they've been up to, and some unbelievably great initiatives that, that they've come up with, let's meet Trish McCluskey, the Pro Vice-Chancellor for Learning and Teaching. Thanks for joining us on the Talking Wyndham podcast. Um, what sort of effect has is, uh, is, is the lockdown had on you personally? First up, Trish. Um, look, I'm a very social person, so therefore I thrive on connection and being with people and I can pick up a lot of sort of non-verbal cues and there's, there's so much communication can happen whenever you're face-to-face with people. And unfortunately, that's all been cut off. And it's very difficult when you're actually, you know, having meetings with staff or talking to friends to have it mediated through the Zoom screen where we're all very aware of what we look like and, you know, what else is <laughs> happening. So, so for me, it has just been, it's been isolating in not being able to, you know, reach out and hug people and do all that sort of thing. Uh, from a professional point of view, that's obviously had a, a fairly significant uh, effect as well. Yes. Um, and... I work very strongly from a, um, a team-based approach and a yeah. collaborative approach. So, of course, you know, when we can't get together and have the 11s or the chat by the, the coffee machine or something like that, it's, it's difficult to have those conversations that are really, really important. But having said that, you know, professionally, I lead the um, learning and teaching strategy at the university. And you may have heard that we've recently implemented a, revolution, a revolutionary new model called the block model at Victoria University. And um, we sort of thought, oh, this having the pandemic, that's going to disrupt everything that we've done. But in actual fact, we realized that we were so well set up with the block model that it's made it much easier for our students because now they're only studying one unit at a time. And that's so much easier to do online than trying to navigate four units, which happens at most other universities. So tell us a little about the thinking behind coming up with the, with the block model and, and uh, what its practical usages are. Well, the block model, we, we were looking for a solution because one of the issues we had at Victoria University, being in the west of Melbourne, the majority of our students were first in family, first time learners. Um, what we call non-traditional learners, but increasingly being known now as a new majority. So a lot of our students didn't have the cultural capital or the educational capital to succeed at university. So therefore, they got in, you know, first year and either dropped out because they couldn't stick the pace or hadn't learned how to learn or didn't have the support from home to ensure they were successful or were juggling multiple other priorities like family, jobs, sports, you know, all of those things. 
So, so we did some digging around and had to think about why do we do this? Why do we do four subjects at a time over a semester that abruptly ends at 12 weeks and then you have four big exams or big terminal assessments to, to hand in? So we came across a model that was being delivered in um, the US, Canada and Sweden. And uh, it was called the block model. And basically what they did was they took one unit at a time and students attend um, campus or attend class for four weeks, three days per week at six times and study one unit in a small class with one teacher, one academic. So therefore, the, 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 the support they get in terms of being able to form networks with students you know, it's quite daunting when you start university and you're in a big lecture theater full of a couple of hundred students asking a question or making friends. So having small classes, which was like 30 students, um, they were able to, to know and be known in that group. And that's all they were focusing on was that one subject for four weeks. So they weren't rushing out of their class and going off to think of another subject and meet different people. So the students quickly got into, you know, what, what we found whenever we went to visit some of these universities is that students really liked it. They told us that. So we thought, there's something here. Let's try that. So we rolled the block model out for our first year intake because that was the idea. The idea is if we get students to succeed in the first year of study, then they will stay. They will stay and they will go on to succeed once they've learned how to learn and learned how to you know, navigate the university and all of the complexities. Yeah, was the way that we structured that based on the fact that we need to be multitasking and we think that we also need to be multi-learning? Is that the sort of... <laughs> well, that, that's one of the criticisms we've had is that all students, when they go out into the real world, need to multitask. So they, shouldn't, they don't just do one thing at a time. And my comeback always is the students who we have are already multitasking. You know, most students nowadays have to do two, three jobs to support themselves and their families. Or we have a lot more adult mature students who are navigating or um, balancing caring for children, caring for family members, that sort of thing. So I think that multitasking issue really isn't, it isn't an issue. And, and this works for the students who we have. So nobody knows where the four subjects at a time came from. It is such a, an old traditional way of doing university. And universities haven't changed at the same pace that society has changed. So we thought, well, why not just, you know, break it? Let's try something new. Isn't that funny? Because university's always been seen to be kind of the, the hotbed of, uh, of change and of, of, of challenging the way that we go about things. Uh, uh, and yet uh, it's been exactly the opposite. Uh, I think, you know, research or universities have got two functions. You know, there's, there's learning, teaching and research are the two predominant uh, offerings that they have or, or um, ways of engaging with, with society and the community. So so when you, there are lots of great ideas come out of universities in terms of research. You know, we discover things. We, we develop uh, experiments and come up with solutions to problems. But learning and teaching has always been the same. You know, it's just you have two semesters a year, you do four subjects in a semester, you finish off with an exam, you get a grade, and then you go on to the next thing. Whereas learning now is so much more connected and so much more embedded. You know, you don't learn in isolation. Traditionally, universities had students would come into the hallowed halls and sit at the feet of the professor, you know, because there was such a scarcity of books. So a lot of the, the 
the knowledge and the information sat with the libraries and the scholars in the universities. But that's not the case anymore. You know, we all carry these devices around that have, you know, you can Google anything. You can find out things anywhere. So, so we depend on networks of knowledge and knowing. So uh, Dr. Google's taken over from the traditional doctor in many ways. Has Professor Google taken over from the, uh, from the university uh, professors? <laughs> Absolutely. There's, there's very little new knowledge in universities. You know, it's what, we, what we, we try and encourage our students to do is to seek, find, validate and discern around information or knowledge. You know, teach them how to use Google responsibly and to think, is this fake news? Is this, how do I validate this information? So check it from a number of points. So being able to use Google in that way in itself is a skill and a new way of knowing. But we don't tend to teach that to students at university. <laughs> you mentioned about, you mentioned you don't learn in isolation. Has, has COVID-19 and, and what's happened to us in the last six months changed that, that that's now become something you have to do? No, because of technology again. Digital technology has enabled us to, like we have got a really sophisticated digital learning platform. And what we had done whenever we introduced the block model where students came in three mornings or three days a week was they had access to a digital learning platform where all of their learning resources were stored. There were lots of pre-class activities, in-class activities and post-class activities. So that platform was already set up for them. And a lot of those activities required them to sign in and do group work or to sign in and comment on someone else's work. So all that's happened now, well, especially at BU, I can't speak for other universities, but all that's happened now is that we've moved into a remote environment. So the physical classroom, which had been a collaborative experience with students sitting around in groups rather than facing the front, the classroom has now been replaced with what we call the virtual classroom. And that's, um, I don't know if you've had experience using Zoom or Skype yeah, or any of the yeah. various conferencing platforms. Well, our, our remote platform now is done through Zoom. But we're still trying to encourage, rather than a transmission base where you have you know, the academic at the front of the class telling the students, we're trying to encourage students to actually work together in groups. So there's a facility in there where you can, you know, put students into breakout rooms, give them a task to work on together, give them a problem, and then bring them back and have discussions on it. So the interactivity is still there. And I think that most of our students already had their networks established, you know, through the various apps that they use on their phones. So, you know, they'll either be texting or WhatsApping or TikToking or whatever it is that they do. So this is just another tool or another layer to the already complex um, network of communication. So is the challenge to, to make the, the traditional classroom as interesting as the virtual classroom? Is that is that what you're going to be looking at when we go back to what is ever, whatever normal is? Yes. Uh, and we, we had already gone quite a way down the, the, the path with that, is that classrooms, you know, redesigning classrooms, they had to be comfortable. They had to be, if students are spending three hours a day in one classroom rather than in a lecture theatre face in the front, it needed to have bright colour, it needed to be able to move around, there needed to be different zones and spaces, and it needed to be technology rich, you know, because when you have a class of 30 students coming in, all with devices that needed to get recharged and all multitasking, you know, it needed to be a very um, dynamic classroom. And, and we've taken, we've in most of our classrooms at BU, what we're looking forward to when we do go back in terms of how we, how we modify this, there isn't the front of the classroom. You know, so that the, the academic comes in and they move around the pods of where students are working. 
and the onus is on the students who are generally either presenting or responding or debating or doing something like that. The the balance between the the business of learning and the and the and the learning as a kind of creative aspect is that is that a hard juggle for universities these days? It is to some degree. It all depends on the passion of the educator. You know, if you have an academic who has spent their whole life studying a very narrow subject to get a PhD, and then you know, generally you go and you start teaching. Not many academics have actually got the equivalent um, experience or discipline of education and teaching and how you engage students and what education actually means. So education is no longer about telling the student about what you've researched and what you know. Education is actually about, um, you know, I can't remember who it was who said it, lighting the flame rather than filling the pail. You know, so what we want to do is, is, provoke students and encourage them to ask questions. So let them know what they don't know so that they know what they where they have to get to rather than just giving them facts, which, you know, I have two kids who went to university and they just said, I don't see the relevance of this, you know. And I used to ask them, what would make it more relevant? How would you learn this better? It's amazing what students can tell us in terms of, you know, how what their own learning processes are and how they, how they learn best. So it's just getting academics to appreciate that and to change their mindset about, you know, if you're passionate about a subject and you want your students to also have the same interest and passion about the subject, you need to find a way to generate that and telling them is not the answer. So good teachers and uh, good professors and good uh, good lecturers would be very hard to find and be very valuable human beings, I would have thought. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> And, you know, the thing is that once a lot of academics tend to get into teaching or tutoring when they're a PhD student, you know, so you start doing some small scale tutoring. And most of us, including myself, you tend to teach the way you were taught, because how do you learn? How do you learn how to teach? You do what you remember your teachers doing. And that is generally, you know, telling students. So once, once academics are exposed to new ways of engaging students, Um, and appreciating that students are already coming to the class with a body of knowledge and lots of life experience. It's how you actually leverage your staff, you know, to maximize the output or the outcome for students. But it's also an outcome for staff. Academics, there's great satisfaction in seeing, you know, students discover something or the life go on or to see them wanting to pursue an area of interest. That romantic knowledge of that is kind of Robin Williams in that film, you know, uh, uh, sees the day and all that sort of stuff. That that that's that's not everyday occurrence in a university. I mean, there's a there's a realistic thing in there somewhere, isn't there? There is, and one of the things, and and it is, there's a lot of ideology with this. And as you can sense, I'm very ideological about how I what I believe good learning and teaching should be. But I've also witnessed that happen in so many great um, examples, and especially through what we've done with the block model. And one of the things that we do um, is that in we've taken every single unit in the university and repackaged it from a 12 week unit into a four-week, more interactive, dynamic unit. Wow. Now, the process of doing that, that's been a lot of work. The process of doing that is not just squeezing everything that was in those 12 weeks into four weeks. It's actually chucking out a whole lot of stuff and rethinking it and think, what is a student going to have to do in the workplace when they graduate with this? What do they need to know? What is the knowledge, skills, and um, aptitudes or dispositions that they know they need to go into a workplace and be successful. 
So what we did as part of that design is we did it in a team-based approach, and that included students. There's nothing more sobering for a staff member who thinks that their wonderful 64-slide deck PowerPoint presented to students is the bee's knees for a student to come and say, well, if you put that in front of me, I'd probably walk out or I'd switch off or I'd turn on, you know, Facebook oh. or something like that. Ouch. So, so we, we, have a, we have a whole program at VU of students as staff and we employ some of our students and they have developed the skills because that's knowledge that they have. They know about new ways of engaging. They know about technology. They know about, it comes down a little bit to um, edutainment, you know, if you think of education, but most of our students are immersed in a world of entertainment through all the various digital devices that they use. You know, everything now is chunked and everything is binged like Netflix. You yeah. know, we just turn it on and when we need it. So education has to change to accommodate those mindsets and ways of working and knowing. So instead of telling them to get their head out of the screen, you actually make your head be in their screen so as they're actually engaging with you, not with uh, just uh, the screen type yep. deal. And, and use technology in the classroom and say, well, what could we find out about this? You know, what, so, so leveraging the, the, the tools they bring in with them rather than being something that they, you know, uh, use to distract themselves from what's going on in the classroom, use the tools to actually engage with what the topic is. And I know that I've taught a number of universities in, in Melbourne and, you know, standing at the back of a lecture theatre looking down at hundreds of students with their laptops open and not a single one had got anything related to the, the, the topic on their screen. It was various <laughs> other things that they were surfing. <laughs> Trish, uh, in your experience, is the, is the thirst for knowledge with the with the, the students that are coming through now, be they young or, or you know mature age students or whatever, has the thirst for knowledge diminished with our ability to access that knowledge? I don't think so. I think that... You know, students depend a lot on the advice that they get in school. You know, the, the, the planning for careers and futures um, needs to start during their school years. So there's an expectation in society that students should go to university, you know, because now it's, it's open and people can go to university. Yep. But it's got to, you've got to target where the student's interest is. And university is not for every student. In fact, I sometimes wish one of my sons had actually gone into plumbing because it is so hard to get a plumber these days. <laughs> and, and he would earn a hell of a lot more. <laughs> you yes. know, but if, so if someone has got an interest in something that's more practical, there are courses, like we're a dual sector university. So sometimes you see students coming in to meet the needs or the, the expectations of their parents and family yep. as a, a, a social you know, aspiration rather than doing something that they are really interested in. Sometimes when they come in and they don't know why they're there or they don't know, you know, why they've chosen certain subjects, it's very hard for them to get curious and passionate about that subject. But if you find what it is that a student is really interested in, you can just, you know, give them some pointers and set them off and they will do a lot of the digging themselves. Has that, uh, is so that, it's a tough question. Yeah, is that is that uh, kind of just getting a degree to get a degree? Is that is that dissipated more in the in the last few years? Mm, I don't think so. Yeah. No, I think there's more pressure on students at school to go to uni. You know, we don't it, the 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 TAFE enrolments have reduced significantly because it's not seen as being as prestigious as going to a university. And in fact, even coming to our university, which services you know the west side of the city of Melbourne, a lot of students who we had, their parents would 
prefer that they went to a more prestigious university. Oh, really? But those universities were not set up to accommodate students who didn't have that experience or cultural capital to be able to learn. So somewhere like VU, which is really deeply embedded in its community and a lot of our academics are, you know, know have our, our first generation students themselves have got a better empathy with the students in terms of what their needs are. So, no, unfortunately, I think that there's, there's a, a big pressure on students to, to go to university uh, and then they come out with big debts and don't often, you know, don't always get the, the careers that they sort of thought they might have got. One of the things that has been uh, obviously uh, an enormous strength of Victoria University is is the diversity and the way that the university has gone about embracing that in, in so many areas of its operation. Yeah, we're hugely diverse. <laughs> and, and, and that's reflected in the staffing profile as well. And it just, it creates such a, a rich community and I suppose field of study in itself in terms of some of the, the, the research that's going on and some of the projects that are going on. You know, we also have a, a very strong um, Indigenous unit called Mundani Balak and they have been doing some fabulous work uh, engaging with local communities. Which, which is a lot of things about Vic University that people don't know about. Exactly. <laughs> And I think look, we're a big, diverse university, but we're also dual sector, which is one of our strengths. You know, now it used to be that you would start a certificate, go to diploma, go to degree, then master's, then PhD. But in actual fact, now there's no there's no one right route. Like we have students who come in and do a degree or a master's, and they might go back and pick up a certificate at um, the, the Polytech uh, in you know drugs and sport, or in first aid, or in something like that. So, so there's lots of pathways in, through, out of and back through the university that are available now for students that just, you know, just need to get them to see those things. Yeah. But also, like, you know, we assume that students, you know, when we think about students, we think about 18-year-old school leavers. We have a very large number of um, mature-age students who, of course, now with people losing their jobs or wanting to come in and upskill, reskill, have a think about what their future is. And we also have huge numbers of Students who come from other countries, you know, through various routes and for various reasons, who, you know, need to get uh, their skills or their existing qualifications recognised um, in Australia. So we meet we meet a lot of diverse needs. Trish, does the block model give, is it a better fit for upskilling a, a particular thing that you might need to do in a, in a short space of time for exactly what you just talked about? Yeah, it is. Well, you know, the thing is you shouldn't have to do a whole degree Yep. to get a qualification. So if, if you're working in, say, and I'm just thinking of something like sports area uh, and, you know, you're, you're, you've been an on-field coach for a long time and now drugs and sport are such a, a major issue. So you should be able to come in and just do one block, one four-week unit on drugs and sport, for yep. example, and then take that. So, so there's a lot more focus nowadays on things that are called micro-credentials or, you know, small micro-learning bits of knowledge that you should be able to pick a mix and build your own degree or use them just to get recognition and um, progression within your, you know, your workplace or your organisation. That flexibility and uh, hasn't been there, but is there now, which obviously is a much more practical use of the education system. Yes. And you can now come and just do one block at VU. And what we find is that, you know, students will come and do one block and then they might take off for a block and go get some money, do some work or travel. Or we've got a lot of elite sports people who study at VU because that's one of our flagship courses. So they may come and do one block and then go off and play for a season or go on tour 
uh, you know, something like that, and then come back and do another block in the off season. So it's the, the, the ability to build your blocks and to pace yourself through learning is so much more um, learning friendly, <laughs> student yeah. friendly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as you mentioned, the age range of those students is now no longer, we, we, we do tend to think about uh, 18, 19 year old university students, but there's sort of 35 and 45 year old university students as well. That's exactly right. And they are the most, they can often be the most curious. <laughs> you know, they're the people who discover learning late in life. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, an interesting phenomenon. Well, the one thing you can't teach is life experiences, and they've had a few of those by the time they go back, and they've uh, probably learned a few things about uh, uh, you know not second guessing everything. And that's exactly right. And we talk about you know lifelong learning. Learning doesn't stop. You have to keep learning new things and upskilling and reskilling. But there's also life wide learning. You know, and people come in with a breadth of knowledge and a breadth of experience that when you bring that into something that's probably quite narrow, say for one, one subject, it can add to that. And, and students, they learn from each other. You know, it, the, the, the totality of knowledge doesn't sit with the academic who's leading the class. It's part of a conversation and a discussion where people can discover things and, and share what they've, they've known, either from a cultural perspective or from personal perspective or life experience. Uh, so your advice to someone who's sort of thinking about uh, jumping back in and, and either upskilling themselves or looking at what they might have missed out on as they came through or who's just about to embark on a, a tertiary education, what would your advice be to, to people thinking about that? I would say just do it. Just taste it uh-huh. and see. And, you know, it's very scaffolded. With someone when I say scaffolded, you know, we support people, especially if they're new to university. Uh, we have a virtual open day. Ooh, and I'm going to be checking myself now. I think it's on the 29th of August. Uh, so we're running our open day virtually this year. Yeah, now, because of what we've done with the block, you can actually log in. You can actually sit in on classes, check out, you know, what the nature of the materials you might be working with. Just have a look and see. And there'll be lots of, of staff available and students to sort of discuss, you know, what the issues are. Because most people who haven't had a, a, a background in education or haven't had strong school experience, for example, may come with beliefs about themselves and their ability. You know, the people come in and go, oh, I can't do that. I was never good at maths or I was put down at school or, you know, things like that. So it's about if someone has an interest believing in that and saying, how can I, how can I turn this into something um, more positive for, for my job or for my future? Trish, it's been sensational having a chat to you. Uh, your, your passion and your enthusiasm for uh, for Vic Uni and for and for learning in general uh, and for the education is uh, is terrific. Uh, it was great to have a chat. Thank you so much for your time. Not a problem. Thank you, Kevin. Take care. Thanks to Trish for her time. Obviously, busy lady and uh, lots to do, as always, at uh, Vic University. And you can check out uh, all the details. She mentioned that uh, virtual open day. All the details of that, of course, are on the website. Just uh, Google uh, Vic University. Jump on the website. Have a look. You'll find out all sorts of things about uh, Vic Uni. In fact, they've been around for over 100 years. So they've got a bit of history and they've uh, obviously got a very bright future as well. An inclusive rather than exclusive organisation and uh, one that... uh, 
sees diversity as an absolute strength of their organisation. They embrace that. They're committed to providing uh, accessible education. Uh, Part of their mantra is improving planetary health and creating healthier, more inclusive societies. So they've uh, got a lot going for them and uh, you can be part of it. If you want to be part of it, jump on the website and find out all the details uh, of an organisation that uh, is uh, proudly uh, striding into the future uh, on the back of what is an amazing history that they have and uh, terrific to catch up with uh, Trish today and have a chat. Hope you enjoyed it. I most certainly did. And look forward to your company again on the next Talking Wyndham podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening. Talking Wyndham is an initiative of the Committee for Wyndham. All the latest news and events are on our website and Facebook page.